Some of y'all just remembered, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> and I will say it won't take long because I'm talking to husbands this morning. They listen well, so it won't take much. <coughs> you know, um, we talked to the uh, wives the last time we were here. Um, it's been a few weeks ago. Like Kevin said, it feels like a long time. It really hasn't been that long. But um, And Kevin always does a, a pretty extensive review before he starts on to the next one. So I figured I would take this morning and review that last lesson. And then... <laughs> This is, Mama said no, this is a subject um, that I personally have studied on so many different levels. I, I've, I've studied it for personal growth, uh, to be quite honest. I've, I've studied it for marriage retreats. Um, I've studied it for premarital counseling. I've studied it for, for marriage counseling. I've done it for small group. I've done it for Sunday school. This is a subject that I am very, very familiar with, to say the least. And I didn't want to come in here this morning and it, not, and, it, and it be so comfortable to me that the weightiness of it not get where it belongs. And that's the truth. I've been looking at it, of course, now for about three weeks, um, preparing for this. And I want to express with all I've got in me, we just sang a song that says, it is my joy to honor you. It is my joy to honor you. That's what this whole series, the series Kevin started in Ephesians that I am continuing on in five and verse, uh, chapters 5 and 6 is about being able to genuinely sing that song. This is about being worthy of your call walking worthy of your call this morning as a husband. As a husband. So, so some of you sit here and think, well, I'm not married. Well, someday you may be. And this is information that it would do you great to have in your possession beforehand. Beforehand. So that you can enter into the marriage with the mindset that it is my joy to honor God as a husband. There's a video. Nathan's going to play a video. We'll start with it, and then we'll get into our message this morning. I was going to try to uh, get some of this across to y'all, but I thought it would be better to let this gentleman do it himself. It's about three, four minutes, something like that. Um, so we're going to look at that first. Pay attention. I look men dead in their eye. Go home and love your wife. No, you don't understand. We're just not in love anymore. I didn't ask you to be in love. I said go home and love your wife. The Bible commands you to. Husbands, love your wives. You're commanded to. Well, no, no, you just, I just, no, I just don't feel like that. Okay, fine. The Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Your wife is your closest neighbor. Go love her because she's your closest neighbor. Yeah, well, she's not even my closest neighbor. I moved out. That's fine. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. So love her because she's your sister in Christ. Well, I don't even know if she's saved. That's fine. The Bible says love your enemies. <laughs> it is absolutely inexcusable for a man who follows Christ to stop loving his wife. It's a choice. It's an act of the will. And we walk away because we don't have a biblical worldview. And we say things like, well, I'm just not happy. And I just don't believe that God would want me to stay in a marriage and be unhappy. Are you serious? Let me see if I understand this correctly. Jesus Christ, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, was crushed and killed for the glory of the Father, but you he wouldn't want unhappy. Gotta suck it up and go home. <laughs> it is an act of the will. It is a choice. It is accompanied by emotion. 
which means, ladies, it's not led by emotion. That's that teenage girl love. Oh, my God, I love him. <laughs> which ought to always be followed by this week. <laughs> Amen. And men, it, it, it's not void of emotion. Biblical love is not void of emotion. And again, I talk to, I hear this from guys all the time. Like they can sell that stuff to me. I'm just not an emotional man. I'm just more of an analytical type. And she wants me to be emotional, and I'm just not a very emotional man. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Well, well, well what do you mean? You, I mean, you don't even know me that well, and you're calling me a liar, and I just said I'm not a very emotional man. Why are you upset that I called you a liar if you're not emotional? Because here's another one I know. When you're out on the golf course and you shank one, you don't just stand there and say, I seem to have hit that one poorly. <laughs> you watching the ball game and your team getting beat like a tied up goat? You don't just sit there and say, they seem to have far more points than we do at this time. <laughs> and if you went to work tomorrow and your stuff was on the sidewalk with a pink slip, you wouldn't stand there and say, well, I really have enjoyed my tenure. <laughs> a man who looks at his wife and says he's just not emotional is actually saying to her, you don't matter as much as my golf game, my favorite team, or my job. Mm, go on. Mm, where'd all my amens go? Uh, it's more like an oh me, ain't it? Yeah. I tried my best. I've watched that 14 times trying to figure out how to get that across without using the video, and I couldn't find a way to say it better than him. He said a mouthful. That, that could be the end of our sermon today. It really could. I mean, he just told you everything as a, husband, as a Christian husband that you need to hear. He just said every bit of it. Let's look where he got it from. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. He said when your team's getting beat like a tied up goat. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do come this morning to say thank you for another opportunity to be gathered in your house. I pray, Father, this morning that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would bind up my thoughts and my opinions and allow nothing but your desire come out of my mouth. Father, I just pray for your guidance and your direction. I pray, Father, that each one of us would have open heart and open mind to your word and your instruction and your desire for our lives. Father, I just pray that you would continue to strengthen us as we try to walk worthy of our call. Father, I pray that especially this morning for the husbands. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love your wives. Man, the things that he said to start that video were so familiar. I've said those things so many times. I have so many people, so many men that come to me and go, I'm just not in love with her anymore. Listen, the Bible didn't tell you to be in love. The Bible told you to love her. And all the instructions that we have about loving one another, how could you ever imagine that it's okay for you not to love your spouse? Of all people, you're told to love your enemy. So even if you're mad at her today, you got to love her. You ain't got no choice. It's a command straight from the Word of God. 
It's not negotiable. It's not. Listen, guys, here's our problem. You and I are so focused on the things of this world, we've forgotten that our goal is to store up treasures in heaven. The Bible strictly tells us, don't store up for yourselves, don't seek out the stuff, but to store up treasures in heaven. Where your treasures are, that's where your heart's at. So here's what happens. Here's what we want to do. This is the real world. This is what we really see. I'll do my part as long as I'm getting something in return. That's our, that's our view of things. I'll go out of my way to put my life on the line as long as she's submissive. As long as she respects me. Where in Scripture does it tell you to love her as long as these things are happening? It's not there. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. When did he do it? After I became, when did he die for me? After I became his servant? After he was my Lord? No, when I despised him, he sacrificially loved me. Husbands, we are instructed to sacrificially love our wives. Sacrificially. What does it mean to sacrifice? It means it should cost you something. Do you know what stores you up treasures in heavens? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. If it's not costing you something, oh my goodness. In order for us to really understand how we're supposed because listen to me, I love hunting. I love my dog. I, I love to go to church. I love the Lord. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love my mama. I love my daddy. Can you see why that gets confusing? Do you love ice cream the same way you love your spouse? No, it's different, isn't it? It's different. It's different. So let's go and find out what it looks like because we've got a description here. It says to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Sacrificial love. Better described as agape love. Agape love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Y'all have heard this before, and it'll do you good to hear it again. Some of you forgot by now. Surely. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Who took Corinthians out of my Bible anyway? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Here's our, here's our definition. This is what we're looking for. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. <laughs> Uh-oh. I see our I see many issues and I ain't even got done yet. Remember, we're talking about sacrificial love. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. Some of y'all come in here this morning as couples not speaking to one another. And now you read that you're supposed to love her in a way that's not resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And in verse 8, love never ends. So George Jones had one thing right. When he's saying he stopped loving her today, what was that song talking about? His funeral. Love never ends. The love that I'm instructed to love my wife with as a Christian man, it is, it, the man said, there is no reason that a Christian man can ever claim. I don't love her anymore. You don't have permission for that. It's not in the cards. It's not permissible. It's not okay. I tell couples all the time that are wanting to get married that come to me for premarital counseling, I'll say, now, you look at that person that you're wanting to marry and you tell me right now, can you love them the way they are right now today for the rest of your life? If the answer is no, we've got work to do. Because if you see anything in that person that causes you to not love them, first of all, you don't love them to start with. Second of all, we've got to figure out what that thing is because you're assuming that's going to change when you get married. What's going to happen is it's going to be magnified and worse right after you say, I do. Because according to Scripture, this ain't for a time. See, what's happened, y'all, is in our society, and this is one of my pet peeves, so y'all have to bear with me as I go on my soapbox here and go through this. In our culture today, the role of man, husband, father has been diminished to the point that our society now believes that a man in a household is unnecessary. It happened over time. I can't put the exact timeline on it, but I have a timeline that I use. Let's go to the television because we all spend plenty of time there, right? So what better way to get into every household in this country than through a TV? There ain't one. Y'all remember a guy by the name of Andy Griffith? He's the last man that I remember being portrayed as what God would define as a man in our culture on a television. There may have been a couple of others that was pretty close, but the next thing I remember is Tim the Tool Man Taylor. What did that show teach us that a man is? An idiot. That's exactly what it taught us. An idiot. And how important was he to the household? Well, he still had a little bit. He still did a few little lessons with his boys and that kind of stuff, and it, still, it was still there. The next man I remember in this evolution was Homer Simpson. Oh, it went south right there, didn't it? Hey, remember, we were sitting in front of our TVs watching this garbage, and the whole time it was filtering into our minds, and we don't realize what's taking place, but go turn your TV on today and look at a family. What is it? It don't exist. It rarely exists. It rarely exists that there is a husband and a wife to start with. And then that he's not some kind of goof or idiot. That's not what God designed, y'all. That's not the truth. What they have told us is not the truth. In order for you to have a godly family, there are some components that are necessary. And then there are some other components that he'd much rather it be that way. See, there's original design, and then there's modified to fit our wants and needs. And what we have today has been extremely modified. Because what God designed was one man, one woman. The man is the head of the house. I'm thinking to show you that. The, his wife is his responsibility. Her spiritual being is his responsibility. I'm the husband is supposed to be loving her sacrificially without end love never ends you know where should be the safest place in the world for my wife to fail 
at my house. At my house. Does that mean there won't be recourses or repercussions or whatever? No, it doesn't. But you know what it means? Is the one place she wants to go when she's made a mistake is her house, my house. Because she knows that it may be rough when she comes in the door and it may be, it may be rough for a little while. But ultimately, love never ends. And what else does the Bible say about love? It covers what? A multitude of sins. See, what's happened is, is we've taken our biblical worldview and put it to the side. And we look at it through a selfish view. Like he said, it's got to make me happy or I'm not in it. So you're telling me that God would allow his only son to be beaten and spit on and crushed and whooped and killed. But you, he wants to be happy? Show me that in scripture. Show me the promise of your happiness. See, what happens is we desire and pursue this happiness to the point that we get lost chasing it. Because what defines happiness today, guys, don't define it tomorrow. Right? It's ever-changing. But I'll tell you what you'll do, Ronnie. If you'll get on the bus chasing after holiness, you'll run all over happiness. See, what's happened is we've, we've, we've got everything out of whack. And we don't have our biblical worldview anymore. That's why so many people was dreading this message this morning. That's why so many people have come to me and said, Hey, I may have to leave early. I know. I ain't surprised by that, Jack. <laughs> Listen, it should be our desire above anything else. She don't deserve me to look. Listen to me. Your job is to be obedient to God. In order for you to be able to walk worthy of your call, you got to walk worthy and pleasing to God. He has given you very specific instructions in this matter as a husband. You chose to be a husband. Now pull your big boy britches up and get busy doing what God said doing because what you're doing now ain't working. It's how our society got so broken is we look at God's ways and say we think we got a better idea and we pursue that. How do you like what we've got? I don't like it at all. It scares me that I'm raising a child in it. You know how we fix it? We go back to doing it the way God intended it to be done. And you know where that starts? With me as an individual. And when I start walking worthy of my call, when I start walking worthy of my call as a husband, as a father, as a leader, as an employee, then things start to change. I was going to save this, and y'all might get to hear it again. Uh, I might be throwing some extra editing towards Nathan with this. Because I don't know how far I want it to go. I have a uh, person in my life <clears throat> that can push my button and take me to places I don't want to go quicker than anybody I've ever met in my life. It's a person, I, I mean, I like him, I love him. I mean, he's, I spend a lot of time with him, may as well. But he can, he can, just, he can just come in and drop about three words and I'm bowling mad and Amanda's going, you got to calm down. I'm going, I'm going to rip his freaking head, plumb off his shoulders, what I'm going to do. I mean, just I mean, he just makes me mad. Well, as I've been studying all of this, I figured out something. It ain't his problem; it's mine. <laughs> so, so I heard God say, "What are you gonna do about it? Are you just gonna walk around mad every day because of this fella, or are you gonna address what's broken inside of you so you don't have to deal with this?" I said, "I hear you, God." So I went in, <coughs> went to this place, and. Uh, have another person there that I told him just this week. I said, uh, here's what's going to happen. This person is never going to have an impact on me ever again. I'm not going to allow anybody to control my attitude and let you see me act and respond the way I have in the past. And he just kind of giggled, and I said, no, I'm serious. When that person comes through the door this morning, I'm going to kill him with kindness. They said, what do you mean? I said, I said, I guarantee you I can put him in the best mood he's ever been in his life. He said, ain't no way. I said, you watch. 
he come in the, in the, in the, into the building that day or come into the place where I was at. <clears throat> and I called out his name just as loud as I could call it. How are you this morning, man? Good morning. I hope you have a great day. And he just kind of looked at me funny and he said, you too. And that day, I mean, night never, no crosswords, no sideways remarks, no nothing. The next day, the guy I've been talking to, he said, you can't do that two days in a row. It ain't no way. <laughs> I said, you watch. I said, I'm telling you, this ain't just for me either. This is for you. You let him do you the same way. Your attitude is sour when he's around too. It ain't just me. I said, but it don't have to be that way. So when he came into the room, I did the same thing. And, and I, I, what's up? How are you? Good to see you. Did you have a good night? How's this and how's that? Day number two, success. So I've done it all week, and it's worked. And I'm telling you that because it's on me. It's on you. The way we change our environment is the way we react and respond to people. Now listen, loving your wife isn't based on whether or not she is submissive to you. You being submissive to your husband is not based on whether or not he loves you like Christ loved the church. Those stipulations are not there. It's based on this is what God desires from us and doing so puts treasures in heaven with your name on them. Now I'm going to say something that's kind of bold and some of y'all is going to freak plumb out. But I can prove it to you if, me, if need be. There is no equality in heaven. It's not there. In other words, just getting there ain't enough. And there will be people that have more rewards than others in heaven. Let me tell you something else. The Bible also speaks of the numbers of lashes a person gets in hell based on their judgment day. See, loving my wife is not about being pleasing to my wife or being pleasing to my pastor. It's about being pleasing to my God. Because being obedient to my God causes there to be treasures in heaven. See, it ain't going to be enough for old Nick to get there and just go through the door and go, Whew, I made it. No, no. No, I'm looking for my stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, God, you done promised and promised and promised. And I didn't see none of it down there. I'm ready for it now. And you know what? He's going to be excited that I'm excited about He's not going to be mad about that. I can take you to a list of people in the book of Hebrews and show you people of faith that did not receive their promises while walking in this fleshly body. That means it was waiting on them on the other side. Listen, when he talks about mansions in heaven, it ain't just going to be a row of identical stuff. <laughs> oh no, mine's going to be bigger than some of y'all's. <laughs> just saying, I've seen how y'all act. <laughs> just saying. Just say, hey, just being 100 this morning, keeping it real. <laughs> See, we fall into this law that once salvation is secured, that's enough. And it's not. That's the beginning. Now you can start working and doing, and it ain't about earning salvation. That's a different topic, different. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being obedient to the Word of God to the point that you earn more reward once you get to heaven. It's there. Look at all the scriptures that bring out talking about the rewards. And that, that because you do this, you'll get a greater reward. So why do we assume that just getting there's enough? It's not. Listen, your reflection of Christianity is all some people's ever going to see of it. Right? So why would you walk around here with your head down and your lip poked out and mad at your wife all the time? I had a Sunday not long ago. Not very long at all. Just, just a little while ago. Amanda was sick. <clears throat> we got up that, woke up that morning and some words were exchanged. I don't even remember the conversation. I don't remember what happened. I just remember I got out of that bed mad. She was sick that morning. Normally what happens is we come in, we get up and she goes, getting ready and I go sit on the couch because it takes me about that long to look as good. 
Some of y'all can tell it don't take long, can't you, Ronnie? <laughs> but this particular morning, she was sick and wasn't coming, so she comes sit on the couch with me, and I'm, I'm running over notes, or I'm looking at my Bible, I'm fooling with my phone, whatever, just waiting on church time. That was about, let's see, we get up at 7, I leave at 9, that was about two hours worth that we sat on the couch and did not speak a word. I left the house that morning, me and Montana come to church. I come in here and put my little show on. Everybody, everything's fine. Oh, she's sick. She's all right. And went through the motions, sitting right there, as mad a man as I could be. Got out of church. Thought, well, I better call and see if she wants anything. If I don't, I have to drive all the way back to town. So I called. You need anything from town? No, I'm good. Good. I didn't want to get nothing no way. Er. <laughs> Got off the phone. Me and Montana went and ate. Went back home, got home somewhere around 1-ish, 1.30. Sat on the couch, right side by side, still not saying a word. And I finally went, you know what? This ain't just dumb, but God ain't happy with it. And we got up and went to the bedroom and, and had a conversation. And I said, I'm so, I don't even remember what was said. I don't remember what happened. But I apologize. And I'm not letting pride destroy my day. It took too long for me to decide that. It did. It took too long. But it happens. Do you know that pride is probably the biggest destroyer of relationships in this whole world? Pride. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about marriages. I'm talking about mother-daughter, father-son, children-to-parent relationships. Pride is the number one destroyer. Somebody at some point has to say, I was wrong in order for it to be repaired. Guys, we are the world's worst at this garbage. We are. It breaks us down to have to look at our wife and go, I was wrong. It shouldn't be. You know why? Because I should love her sacrificially. Even if I'm right, I should be willing to say I'm wrong so that God's happy with me. And I'm not walking around here ill and mad and having to put on my little face. Some of y'all come in here this morning not speaking. Some of you will leave here this afternoon and you'll be arguing before you get to that road about where you're going to go eat to the point you won't speak. Y'all laughing because it's true. It's happened before. Why can't it happen today? Right? Because <coughs> I don't know is not a place and I don't care is not a place. They don't serve narrow thing that you can eat. Right? You know what causes it to be that way? Pride. If I could get the guy that I shave with from time to time to act right, I could master this command from my God that says, love your wife sacrificially sacrificially love your wife <clears throat> verse 26 that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word spiritual leadership in the household falls on the husband and here's a reference to it it is my responsibility to put my foot down and be the spiritual leader of my home. That doesn't mean I get to point fingers and bark orders and everybody just listens. That's not how that works. What it does mean is that I promise you, I believe this with all I've got between these scriptures and others I can take you to if need be, I really believe that on my day of judgment, I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what I have done, whether it be good or bad. Y'all remember the mention of that day in Scripture, right? I'm going to stand there that day, and the first thing that I'm going to be questioned on, listen, God's going to ask questions that day, and He already knows all the answers. Ain't no need in trying to lie your way through it. Ain't going to work. And the first thing He's going to question me on is what kind of husband I was. Not what kind of pastor, Sunday school teacher, Awana's leader. All that stuff's coming. 
But that ain't number one. If you are a married man, the first thing you're going to have to give an account of is your marriage. I hope you get it right. Kevin talked a few weeks ago about redeeming the time. At some point, you look at it and go, however you've done it, that's enough. It's time to start doing it right. I'm here to tell you today, as a husband, however you've been doing it, that's enough. That's far enough. You've wasted enough. It's time to start doing it the way God designed it to be. What happens in our society is we get a hold of things that God puts in place and he has a purpose for and we modify them because we think we got a better idea and we get what we've got today. It's enough. That's enough. Your way ain't better than God's way. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. He loved her, loves her on the good days. He loves her on the bad days. He loves her when she's sick. He loves her when she's arguing. He loves her all the time. He loves her. And he loves her to the point that he died for her. When? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Love never ends. It don't stop. It don't quit. It don't go away. So if you stop loving her, you never did to start with. That's the facts. Whatever you've done to this point, that's enough. That's enough. Start doing it the way God intended it to be. Start implementing things the way God intended them to be. And I promise you, we'll see a change in this society that nobody can explain. But it starts with individuals. For me to walk worthy of my call, I got to quit having them Sundays like I had a few weeks ago. I got to be a grown man, a grown Christian man, and look at God and go, it's going to hurt, but baby, I don't know what I just did, but I'm sorry. I can't spend another day. It's enough. Stop doing it the way you think is better. It's not better. You can't modify what God's implemented and make it better. You're tearing it up. You're ruining it. You're making society look at this and question whether or not it's something they want. They shouldn't do that. Your physical marriage is a representation of the spiritual relationship between Christ and the church. When people look at you as a Christian man and see your marriage, they should see what it looks like, the relationship between Christ and His church. That's the purpose of your marriage. Are they seeing that? Listen to me. Do people want what you're selling? What you're putting on display for the rest of the world to look at and then you go and invite them to church or you go and invite them to Christ, no wonder they don't want it. Look at you. you playing games. They can do that without all this extra. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Any other way is unacceptable. It's enough. You've went far enough. It's time to do it the right way. And the only right way is God's way. Look at this. You have a spiritual responsibility to take care of your wife. She is the weaker vessel. You're, there. You're supposed to open the jars that are hard to open. It's in the Bible. <laughs> She's the weaker vessel. You're supposed to be there to do that. It's part of who you are. Quit griping about it. You're supposed to do those things. God said so. Look at this. Keep going with me in verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here's the other part of my judgment day. I really believe the only thing in this world that God has given me that I'm supposed to hand back to him in better condition than what I received it is my wife. I really, with all I got in me, believe that my wife was given to me as a precious jewel and I'm supposed to spend my time polishing on that jewel so that when I stand before God and present his daughter back, that's right, God's your father-in-law. When I present his daughter back to him, she's supposed to be in better condition than she was when I got her. Think about that a minute. Think about that. Think of that responsibility, man. Sure you won't get married? Some of y'all got a rough jewel. I know, I know, I know, I know. 
But listen, ain't nothing that can't be polished out. Nathan, quit celebrating like that. Some of y'all amen the wrong stuff. It's true, though, right? Everybody's jewel came to them in a different condition. But no matter how broken it was when you received it, it's not about that. It's about how you present it back to Christ. The, he said that he, look here what he said about the church. In the same way, um, I'm sorry, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Well, if this representation is marriage that we're trying to tie these things to, doesn't it make sense that he's expecting the same thing out of me with my wife? That I'm supposed to polish on her. That to some extent, her spiritual well-being is my responsibility as her husband. You say, boy, that's a lot to take on. You shouldn't have gotten married. <laughs> Too late now. Too late now. Now all you can do is pull your big boy britches up and hope and pray that that verse about not giving you more than you can handle is true. <laughs> right? Right. Right. Y'all got me. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. She is your responsibility. She is your responsibility. You better get busy polishing. Listen, she, is, she was God's daughter before she was my wife. Now, this doesn't change the fact that God is my father, too. This, this doesn't. But when I sit and think about the fact that I am God's son-in-law, do you know what makes father-in-laws happy? That's right. When, when, when I honor his daughter, Devon's a happy man. When I, when I treat her with respect, you know, when he's able to go to bed at night and not worry about who's taking care of his daughter. Because remember, <coughs> for 20 years, Deepon was responsible for that. Then I came along and married her, and now it's my responsibility. He needs to be able to go to bed at night with his head on the pillow and not worry about his daughter anymore to know that she's in good hands. Well, if Devon feels that way, how much more does God feel that way? Hmm, you're right. Hmm. See, God is my father-in-law. And I want a happy father-in-law. I really do. I don't want him to have to worry about his daughter. I want him to know that she's in good hands. And when, they, when she's not being treated, just think about this, those of you with daughters or children. How happy does it make you to think about a person that takes care of your child. Whether they're already married or going to be married someday, when you think about, I, I can tell you this, I pray for Montana's husband often. We do, as a couple. We pray right now for Montana's husband. I don't know his name, I don't know what he looks like, I don't know where he's coming from. My only thing to pray is that he is a godly man that takes care of her like she's your daughter. So the thing that makes me the most disturbed is to sit and think of the possibility that she marries somebody that don't take care of her. Now how much more so is that magnified with God as your father-in-law? How much more does he desire for his daughter to be taken care of? You get where I'm coming from? You see how all this adds up? You see how all this plays out? Guys, it's a big responsibility to take on. And for those of you that ain't married, I ain't trying to scare you out of it. I just want you to know the truth going in because there's plenty of people that got in, didn't know all this, didn't have no idea. Now all they can do is put their big boy britches on, get busy polishing. When we start doing it God's way, things change. When we keep doing it our way, they just keep getting worse. We're going to finish up here just shortly. I'm going to slot... Uh, fall on down here to about verse 32. And, and he's, this is a summary of what he has written. First of all, no, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. No, I'm going to miss some things if I do that. First of all, let's go to 1 Peter 3, 7. I'll let Nathan pull these up here. 
1 Peter 3, 7. <clears throat> I want to show you, I just want to reiterate to you something I've already said. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, a command with consequences. Uh-huh, look at that. That's what, that comes straight out of the Bible. I know it's on the big screen, but if you looked it up in your Bible, it says the same thing. Look, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of this life, comma, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Having trouble getting your prayers past the ceiling? You may want to start treating your wife a little better. Because according to this, your prayers are hindered when you don't do it the way God says do it as a husband. What? That's what it says. I mean, I'm just telling you what it says. I didn't write it. I, I didn't make this up. I didn't, even, I didn't even break that down. I'm just reading it straight off of what it says. And what it says is you better take care of that woman like she's a weaker vessel so that your prayers won't be hindered. In other words, God said, if you ain't taking care of my daughter, I want to hear from you. <laughs> huh? What he said. What he said. Go on down there to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is a description of Christians. This is why it's important as a Christian husband to love your wife the way God said so. Because you are his representative and his ambassador in this world. You are a chosen race. You've been called out of darkness into this marvelous light. Why? For the glory of God. And you walking around here acting like you're still in the darkness ain't bringing no glory to nothing. It's your responsibility. You've been called to do this. This is your walk that you're expected to be walking in. And you can't do it halfway. You can't pick out the things about God you like and just dwell on them. He's not a buffet. You don't get, just get to pick the parts you like and leave the rest laying. You've got to be obedient in everything. So if you're going to walk worthy of this call, as a husband is a big part of that. Now go to verse 30. Two. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now all of this that he's just told us about here in Ephesians is, 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 uh, is giving us a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church and then telling us that our physical marriage should be a representation of that relationship. So now we've got this picture, okay? Now we've got that man is supposed to love his wife the way Christ loved the church. Sacrificially, he died for her. When? When she wasn't the good girl. <laughs> so it ain't based on your wife's behavior as related to your love. It ain't about her being submissive enough to earn your love. It's about you loving her because God said do it. Look at this last verse. However, however ties us back to what he just said, and what he just said is, this is a, this is me, I'm speaking of this mystery as it relates to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If you want to sum up Christian marriage, there it is. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husbands. I could have got up here and read that a few weeks ago and we'd be done with this and on to something else. But what fun would that be? Right? <coughs> love your wife as Christ loved the church. Sacrificial love. When we start to establish family, marriage, husband, wife, mother, father, as God established it originally, 
then we start to see the things we don't like about our society repaired. But as long as we keep doing what we've been doing, we're going to keep getting what we've been getting. We're getting churches voting on what is a marriage. That happened this past week. A, a major, a major denomination had a vote to determine what is marriage. Y'all, that's not up for debate. Open your Bible. Read it. Look at it. And let's get back to living by what it says. Whatever you've been doing, that's enough. <laughs> that's far enough. Tim the tool man, Homer, whoever, them ain't men. That ain't what a godly man looks like. That's not what a godly husband looks like or a godly father. God didn't create you to be an imbecile. <laughs> he didn't create the, the tail to wag the dog. It's time for you to be the spiritual leader of your household and do it in a God-pleasing manner. When we start to correct what's broken inside the church, then we can start to address the things that are broken outside the church. Listen, there's no way we can go out and, and preach the gospel and do the things we're supposed to do if we're spending our time trying to figure out what a marriage is. Right? That's elementary. It's ele that's the basics. You had to vote on what a marriage is? Really? It's one man, one woman. I didn't make that up. It's, it goes back to Adam and Eve. It was one man who was lonely. He gave her a helper. It was a woman. Her name was Eve. It wasn't multiple women. It wasn't another man. It was a woman. Her name was Eve, not Steve. Right? Love didn't win. Sin won. Listen, y'all, when we start seeing things through our biblical worldview again, we can start to address some of the issue. But until we get it right ourselves, there's no way we can go out here and help them fix it. You'll get caught up in what they're saying and go, you know what, God does love everybody. Yeah, I didn't say He didn't love everybody. That, but that don't change what a marriage is. That don't change what a family unit looks like. Then when we start to fix the family unit, we can start to fix the church unit. Then we start to fix the church unit, we can go out and fix the communities. And when we start fixing in the communities, it don't stop. But first we've got to start with, with first things first. Wives, be godly wives. Husbands, be godly husbands. Parents, be godly parents. Children, be godly children. Employees be godly employees. Boy, that one's going to hurt. I'm dreading that one. Employers be godly employers. Walk worthy in every aspect of life. So this morning, husbands, love your wife. You don't have a choice. You can't call them something else and decide not to love them. He said love your enemies. Well, you know, I mean, come on. It don't end. It never ends. Love never ends. Husbands, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Bottom line, that's where it's at. And when we start to fix these little things in our world, then the things outside of these walls can begin to be addressed. But until then, we'll be wasting our time voting on what is a marriage. <laughs>